It's the season finale of What Bored Christians Talk About. Yeah. You sound so excited to be done with this podcast, Michael. (laughs) I can't wait. I'm so excited (laughs) that I've already got my vacation shirt on. Right, me too. Uh, Yeah, welcome to episode 12. This is the season finale. I imagine we'll do another season, season two. Probably not until, I will say, probably not until 2024, though. Yep. We're going to take a little bit of a break, but don't worry. Stay tuned because there will be some bonus content. There's going to be some bonus content. We are looking at possibly doing some holiday episodes. Yeah. You know, but no promises. No promises. Only if you're good. Yeah. You best behave. See you when you're sleeping. We know when you're awake. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I noticed I, that was something that I realized that I did as I go back and listen to a podcast. Anytime I tell a joke, anytime I say something funny, I always follow it up with just kidding. <laughs> and as I was listening to the podcast, I, I was very annoyed with myself. So that's my goal to try to stop always saying just you gotta kidding. Commit, commit when to the I, joke. When I feel like it's assumed that it's a joke, I need to stop saying just kidding. Mm-hmm. So that's sorry, true. guys. Anyways, I'm growing. I'm learning. Well, um, wanted to talk about just kind of reminisce a little bit. I mean, this is the last episode. Yeah. We didn't know that we were ever going to do a podcast. And then even when we started it, we didn't know that we were going to finish it. I mean, honestly, I was surprised we got one episode done, let alone 12. Right. The fact that that we've been rolling with this and it's been fun. I have really enjoyed doing this. It's just crazy Um, to me that there's like 14 hours probably of conversation that we've had on the internet. That's weird. That's a lot of hours. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think we would actually do it, but we did it. Yeah. And these shirts that we're wearing, they're not just as a funny joke to commemorate the final episode. There's a reason that we're wearing these shirts, Michael. Do you want to say what the reason is? See, I misaligned my buttons. Oh, guys, Michael misaligned his buttons. By freaking two. (laughs) Freaking toddler. Can you describe them for the audio listeners? Oh, yeah. So we're wearing, like, funny Hawaiian beach shirts. Um, mine is just, like, pretty basic. It's almost like a, a black or a navy background with, like, blue and pink leaves and Hawaiian flowers on it. Um, definitely kind of loud, but, you know, it's a beach shirt. Yeah. Mine's white with parrots uh, and red and blue and yellow leaves. Palm leaves. Palm I actually wear parrots. this shirt pretty often. Yeah. Believe it or not. I like I wear it when I go to the pool or go to the beach. Mm-hmm. I'm just like on vacation. It's a good vacation shirt. Right. Have you worn yours since we bought it three years ago? I, I have. M- most of the time when I go to the beach, this is a shirt that gets packed because I feel like it doesn't fit with any of my wardrobe up here. But at the beach, it's it's perfect. Nobody Heck looks yeah. at you twice. Yeah, nobody cares. When you have this shirt on at the beach, it's totally fine. So these shirts we picked up in, it was Tybee Islands. Mm-hmm. Tybee Islands near Savannah, Georgia. Um, mm-hmm. Probably 2020, end 20, of 2020. Something like that, yeah. Hanging out on vacation. It was us and some other friends, and uh, we got these. We were in a in a store, and we saw these shirts, and we like jokingly put them on. And we were like, we should get them. And that trip is kind of the, you know, the way I see it, it's kind of the trip that began Graham and I's friendship. Mm-hmm. That, at least the way that it is now. Yeah, this dynamic. Because we've known each other since high school, and we've yeah. been friends for a long time. But, but since 
going to Tybee Islands, we were like walking around Savannah, Georgia, and we were talking about Calvinism, mm-hmm. which we agreed not to talk about on the podcast. The topic whose name shall not be named. We were walking around and all of our mm-hmm. friends were like, you guys are so lame. Why are you talking about this right now? And we're like, well, it's fun for us. It's, yeah. We're enjoying it. Because Michael and I don't agree 100% on that topic. Yeah. So it's just kind of, it's fun to talk about mm-hmm. weird theological things. Like did Adam and Eve have belly buttons or like mm-hmm. slightly more weighty things like, like uh, Calvinism, like Calvinism. So, yeah. And it, it, you know, it was fun because you and I were able to have those conversations from a really healthy way where those conversations aren't usually had, mm-hmm. you know, usually they're very heated, very debated and, and people get really mad over those things. And we we're able to just have like a really genuinely enjoyable conversation about it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of where this dynamic and some of the things from the podcast were born. So hopefully you guys find it interesting. We find it interesting. We have fun doing it. Hopefully you have fun listening to it. Speaking of podcast beginnings, um, I don't think everybody knows the story of the music that we use as the intro. Yeah. So uh, everybody loves Tad. If you've listened to the podcast at all for any amount of time, Uh, everybody knows that the real goat of the podcast is not me or Michael. It is the Lord. But also Tad. <laughs> if you watched the last podcast, then you saw Tad's back. Mm-hmm. Tad actually stepped into frame for a second. Well, the song that we use as the intro, which hopefully you guys recognize that by now, um, is a song called Fried Oreos that was written by Tad about Homestead, the little home church that we are all a part of. All me and definitely not two other people. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not two other people. It was it was all Tad. Definitely all, all Tad. All Tad. One hundred percent. Mostly, mostly Tad. I'm just kidding. It was you and um, Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Clifton, Clifton, right? Yeah. yeah. He's famous now. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, Clifton, Jimmy, Clifton, yeah, Jimmy Clifton, Clifton. He's super way famous. more famous than we are. Dang. Well, we need He's to got do a lot of monthly get Jimmy listeners. On yeah, get Jimmy on it. Get the featuring Jimmy Clifton. You know, just you know, mooch off of his followers. So. I mean, literally. <laughs> Isn't that what all content creators do? Right. You get people that are a little bit more famous than you, and but you're friends with them, and you get them to be on your podcast, and then you get more followers. Yeah. And then people want to have you on their podcasts. That'll be how we know that we've arrived, Michael, when somebody else... Is trying to mooch off of ...asks us? us to be a guest on their podcast. Then we'll know that we've made it. That's the dream. That's the dream. But yeah, Fried Oreos was mm-hmm. uh, was a fun song. It was written by or written about uh, Homestead mm-hmm. and the time when uh, Savannah did not have AC in the house. True. And True. the one and of the before you guys seasons, were married before we were married. Yeah, well before we were married. Yeah. And it was uh yeah seventy eight degrees and climbing because that's how hot it was in the house. It was probably a lot hotter than that even probably. There probably, were times it was over eighty degrees. Yeah, in for the sure. House, Definitely probably. had to have been mid eighties in the house, especially with body heat. But, you know, everybody was comfortable and having fun and enjoying mm-hmm. themselves, and it was, a, it was a sweet time. It was a good time. Mm-hmm. Good memories, for sure. I'm so, glad that we have AC now, though. I would the song is very, that. it's about a very nostalgic time for most of us. Yeah. So, uh, in the beginning of the podcast, when we were kind of putting it together, we were like, well, we need some type of riff, because all podcasts have like a riff or an intro or an opening. And at first, I was thinking we need to just mess around on the guitar and the bass for a little bit and come up with something. I think, was it you or Tad started playing the Fried Oreos intro? And I was like, 
That's perfect. That's what we need to use as the the podcast. So even the music is not just original to the podcast, but it's a nostalgic, sentimental thing for us as yeah. well. And we'll throw it on uh, at least the current version of it. We can put it on YouTube. Maybe even put it on our channel or something. Mm-hmm. We can figure out a way for people to be able to listen to it. Right. If you want to hear the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And we don't know for sure that we'll do this, but one day we may even remaster it. Yeah. And put it on Spotify. Who knows? But for the time being, we can probably at least make sure you guys know where to where to find it on YouTube. Yeah. Another funny story from that. When we first started doing the podcast, I think we were three or four episodes in. I was talking to Becca and asked her about what she thought of the the intro music and she's like yeah it sounded really familiar i was worried that you guys were going to get in trouble for like copyright issues because i've like i know i've heard that somewhere before she thought it was from a tv show or something Mm. that she knew and when i told her that it was fried oreos she got really excited she thought that was super sweet but she was initially worried that we were going to get in trouble as the one that mixed it but that does my heart good that somebody could mistake that for something professional. Right. It's been it's been really satisfying and beautiful to see how this podcast has come together in ways that I did not expect. Yeah. The inside jokes that we've made along the way, put it in a creed, mm-hmm. you know. I think we're going to have a t-shirt that has all of the doodles on it on a little scroll mm-hmm. that says put it in the creed. So that, that'll be a fun season-ending commemorative thing. The doodles. Didn't know that the doodles were going to turn into a thing. They just kind of did. The doodles were a really fun, happy Mm -hmm. accident. There's some really good ones there. They were a happy accident, but it has been, low-key, that's been one of my favorite things is coming up with the doodles and getting to draw them and post them for each episode. So, Which doodle is your favorite? Oh, gosh. That is really hard to say. I think the alien one was really fun for me. I just like the... Especially, you can't see him as well on this board, but like maybe Tad can bring up a visual on YouTube with all of the doodles so mm-hmm. people can see him and vote on which. That'd be fun to have people vote on which one's their favorite. Yeah. Um, I like the way the green on the alien pops, and I just thought it was kind of funny. So I liked the alien. I also liked the last one we did of Moses <laughs> as the running back for Egypt State. Yeah. <laughs> That was funny. But I think the one that made me laugh the most, even though it wasn't the most fun to draw, wasn't the most creative, was probably the church history timeline mm-hmm. one. Yeah. That might be my favorite. It's hard to say. I think my favorite's church history timeline as far as funny goes. Mm-hmm. And then as far as like just kind of a cute drawing, I like the raccoon with the top hat. The raccoon with the top hat. Fancy raccoon's nice. Yeah, that yeah. one was fun. I feel like for a lot of people that I've talked to, it's the pocket draft. It's the, the classic original the classic. episode one pocket draft. Um, that's the one that people want a t-shirt of even, you know, yep. we, we wouldn't be able to do a t-shirt of every single Mm-mm. doodle from every single episode, but the pocket draft one is the classic one that people seem to like. Yep. So. so it's been a fun, been a fun season. For I'm sure. excited to do more. For sure. Me too. And I'm excited for this last episode too. Yeah. We've got some fun stuff to talk about today. What would that be, Graham? What's the first thing? Greet the brethren with a holy kiss. Specifically, is that something that we should still do in practice today? <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not going to practice it today, that's for sure. <laughs> so, I feel like every time I've ever heard a sermon or a message preached about that, 
there's always this kind of what feels like to me a cheap get out of jail free card. Oh, that was the culture at this time. Mm-hmm. And we don't have to do that anymore. Thank the Lord. Ha ha ha. Everybody mm-hmm. laughs. Now, I understand that that can be true. Mm-hmm. But I get tired of overusing the excuse of, oh, that was just the culture at that time. Because mm-hmm. I feel like if you want to, you can explain away an awful lot that shouldn't be explained away with, oh, that just applies to their culture. Right. So where is the line with that? Um, is that a valid excuse to use for the greet the brethren with the holy kiss? Or is that something that we should bring back? Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that that, so that greet the brothers with the holy kiss mm-hmm. is the letter to the Corinthians, mm-hmm. first letter to the Corinthians. And I think it's funny that that one, head coverings and women talking in church is all stuff in the Corinthian letter. Corinthians is wild. But then people kind of pick and choose. It's like, okay, well, that was cultural. Breathe the brothers with a holy kiss. Head coverings, that was just cultural. We don't need to follow that. Women speaking in church, no, that's that's God's, you know, that's what God's decided, right? Like, that's not a cultural mm-hmm. thing. That's absurd. You know, and it's just funny that yeah. all of that happens in 1 Corinthians. That's where all the cultural arguments It seems pop up. like such a silly thing to bring up. Greet the brethren with a holy kiss. But I really feel like there is a deeper issue there of like, how do we decide how to interpret and apply scripture? Mm. You know, I mean, those are really good points. All the other stuff in, in Corinthians and then take like Mennonite and Amish culture, for example, they still do head coverings mm-hmm. because they believe very much that that's the Bible. It's the word of God and it still applies today. To my knowledge and to my experience, the ones that I know at least do not greet the brethren with a holy kiss. Mm-hmm. That's something that they seem perfectly fine to excuse as cultural. So who's the judge of that? Who gets to say what's cultural and what we should still do? The president. The president? Of the United States of America. Of the United... Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. We've settled it. Put it in the creed. (laughs) Let Joe Biden decide we should... No. (laughs) Just all all the images of him sniffing children's hair popped into my head. And I'm like, Mm. I don't want him to be the one that decides... When, whether or not we still kiss each covers. other <laughs> <That's why> <laughs> <laughs> to protect us from Joe Biden. <laughs> oh gosh, this really went somewhere I was not expecting. Doodle. That's the doodle. <laughs> I found my new favorite doodle. Oh gosh. Oh mercy. <laughs> oh lord. <laughs> oh lordy. I don't know that I can draw that though. That's hard. Joe Biden kissing a head covering. Is that what the doodle is? Yeah. I don't know if I can draw that. I could try. Um, I'm sorry. If anyone's disappointed, if that ends up not being the doodle, I, I, I do apologize, but I am limited in my artistic abilities. Um, no, so that's a valid question. Who decides whether that's cultural or not? Mm-hmm. Probably not the president of the United States of America. Probably not. It's probably the CEO of Chick-fil-A. That's more spiritual. But Chick-fil-A went woke. That's true. So we can't. Dallas Jenkins? No. Oh. Gay. wow we're getting way more loose on this final episode (laughs) oh my um (laughs) gosh i don't know i don't know john piper can he decide for us sure okay i like piper john piper shout out to john piper if you would if somebody would please send this podcast to john piper 
Maybe I don't want that to happen. I, well, I can tell you what the answer is going to be. John Piper's answer. What is his answer? His answer be? is going to be it's cultural and we don't have to do it. Which might be true. I mean, <clears throat> which, yeah. Here's just... my thing. So that happens uh, at the conclusion of, of Paul's letter. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that Paul says at the end of his letter mm-hmm. that is not directly applicable to us. Because he'll say stuff like, hey, you know, don't forget to greet some Greek These name persons and that persons and, you know, and don't forget to remind yeah. this person to take their medication and like, you know, whatever. I don't like, remember that. I one. don't know that if that's in there, but I'm sure <laughs> it's, it's something like that where he, he just kind of gives these really specific things and they're specific to the Corinthians only. And we have no mm-hmm. application there, right. direct application, but there is probably an implication, but I think that greet the brothers with the Holy kiss that was something that he said to the Corinthians. He didn't even say that to all of the churches that he wrote letters to. Does he say that anywhere else? Tad, can you look that up? Is it only in Corinthians that he says, greet the brethren with the holy kiss? Oh, or is there oh, anywhere okay. else that he says that? I'm just, in, I'm curious now. There is something specific that's earlier. First Corinthians 16, 5 through 11 is just what they need to do at that time. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, you know. Right. Let no one despise him. Like, that's just for them. Yeah. Right. Um, what am I looking at? Um, <laughs> if there are any other passages that talk about greeting someone with a holy kiss. Specifically from Paul. Yeah, but... specifically from Paul, or if it was only to the Corinthians. Because here's my thing. I understand that point. I think with most of those things, it's obvious that it's specific to them because he's calling very specific people out by name. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to apply that to to us other than like maybe the principle of you should greet your friends at church. Like you mm-hmm. should make sure everybody feels remembered and welcomed and seen. So on a principle okay. level, maybe, but like as far as, Oh, so word of grace.org gives me five places. Romans sixteen sixteen, greet one another with a holy kiss. All churches, all the churches of Christ greet you Sixteen twenty, And the second Corinthians 13, 12, greeted one another with a holy kiss. Still Corinthians, though. Still uh, speaking to the same people. The Thessalonians, oh, 5, wow. 26, greet all brothers with a holy kiss. And 1 Peter 5, 14, greet one another That's with not a even kiss. Paul. It's not even Paul. Uh, greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all Gross. of you who are in Christ. That is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tad. So, <clears throat> but I still stand by. Paul didn't prescribe that to everybody. And I think that there's maybe something more specific there for the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it was because there was so much division, right? In the beginning of the letter to the Corinthians, he says, you know, there's a lot of division among you. Some of you are saying, I follow Apollos. I follow mm-hmm. Paul. And then some of them are like, I follow Jesus. And the Romans were dealing with some division too. And so maybe that's his prescription is like, when you guys Say are... Say something nice about each other. Well, yeah, like, well, kind of. Less trite than that, but it's like, there's a... You guys are physically dividing yourselves... And so this is a way that you can physically show that you are united. Like maybe that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything special, I guess, about greeting the brothers with a holy kiss that we're missing out on because we don't do it. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I would. I don't think there's anything spiritual about it necessarily. You know, 
like we talked about there being a mysterious element of communion. I don't think there's like a mysterious spiritual element to greeting someone with a holy kiss. But I do wonder, like the fact that it is mentioned in other places, in other books to other people. I mean, we've at least got Corinthians, Romans and Thessalonians from Paul. And then Peter says it as well. You can also further establish the normalcy of the culture of them greeting people with a kiss by the way that Judas portrays Je- mm-hmm. betrays Jesus mm-hmm. by betraying him with a kiss. That seemed normal. Mm-hmm. It's a normal part of society for them. My question is, who gets to decide and what are the processes for deciding what was culture and only applies to them in that time because of that culture and what still applies to us. I just, I mean, that's something I want to be careful about because I think the tendency of everybody is the stuff that we don't like and it's uncomfortable. We we slap the cultural sticker on there. Mm-hmm. And the things that we think are cool and we want to do that, oh no, that's still for today, for sure. Um, but there are people right now trying to make the argument that homosexuality was only wrong for that culture. Mm-hmm. And that culturally, it's we live in a different time. It's mm-hmm. more accepted now. Um, and that, that that applied to their culture and their time and their culture is wrong. And for us, it's not. That's really problematic. Mm-hmm. So we got to be careful about how we start slapping that cultural sticker on things. That's my point. And even for a small thing like greeting brethren with a holy kiss, I think it has big implications because we're talking about how we interpret scripture and how mm-hmm. we apply scripture so my thinking right now at least this is i'm just reasoning out my head i have to study it more there is a a closeness and a certain level of physical intimacy that's not at all sexual or weird you know inherently supposed to be there for humans i think hugs you know we still hug in in society somewhat you know some people are more huggers than others kissing on the cheek some societies today are still more that way like america is mm-hmm. not but if you go over i think it's is it italy mm-hmm. or, or where they still do that like oh or or greece like oh mwah, mm-hmm. mwah, either chick either cheek you know yeah and that's still completely normal for that society you can't just ask is it a culture thing you got to ask why is it a cultural thing why did their culture do that and i think it's because there's a normal level of um, physical closeness that, that every human needs. Our Western society has just gotten away from that in a way that's unhealthy, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, where the father is very standoffish. Like, I, you know, I heard, you know, my dad said, well, my dad never told me he loved me mm-hmm. because men got to be tough mm-hmm. and men don't show affection. And so men don't hug, men don't kiss, men don't say they love each other. And I don't think that's a good thing at all. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can just pass that off as part of the culture. I think that's where the culture needs to change. Mm-hmm. So do do we need to bring back specifically greeting the brethren with a holy kiss? Not as like a legalistic, oh, you have to make sure you kiss people in the church. But I think we do need to bring back a level of comfortability with physical affection that we have lost. That yeah. I don't think is a good cultural thing Mm -hmm. and i think maybe part of that would include greeting with a kiss like similarly to way the way they do in italy or greece yeah my opinion right now right yeah well i think i am pretty much in the same place that while i do think that that is specifically cultural to the corinthians and people in ancient times like 
there's a principle that's true for them that's still true for us, which is physical intimacy with one another mm-hmm. is important in the body of believers. And that's why Paul mm-hmm. is saying that. Because like I said earlier, you know, the Corinthians struggling with division. And so that kind of physical closeness mm-hmm. is like in some ways physical closeness can bring about kind of the spiritual closeness that they're supposed to have. You know, it kind of postures your heart. If the if you're physically mm-hmm. posturing your heart to care for somebody, that's mm-hmm. going to do something on the inside too. Paul is ex- is exhorting them to do this, to greet each other mm-hmm. with a holy kiss, because he's just reminding them, hey, don't mm-hmm. forget about physical intimacy. That is a part of a healthy Christian life. Right. Christian Christians now, the question is just, you should, or not the question, but the command, I guess, or the, the exhortation is to mm-hmm. find the ways that your culture is physically affectionate towards people and do those mm-hmm. things. And if know? it, if it's not, if your culture is not physically affectionate, then I would argue, well, then it's time to be a part of some positive culture change. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So do I think that everybody should do it? No, but I, I would personally like to be a part of changing the culture to a place where at least you can mm-hmm. and people are comfortable doing it and it not being weird. Mm-hmm. Like I think a homestead. Okay completely normal for us to hug Mm -hmm. right some people aren't super physical they don't want hugs you know fist bump they give you a fist bump because they don't they don't they don't want that hug and that's understandable and it's fine no one really gives them a hard time about it what if it was the same way with with kissing like as we gave a hug goodbye we also on the cheeks some people like it some people don't and they're like i don't i don't want to do that fine but also nobody looks down or thinks weird of the people that do Mm -hmm. i like the idea of that culture better and I might be one of those that doesn't want to kiss, mm-hmm. but I do want a culture that is more okay with that. I don't feel that there's a need for that. Like, I don't think that that's the point. Like I said, I don't think there's anything special about a kiss. I think that a hug is just as physically intimate in our culture as a kiss is over there, you know, because like in Italy or Greece, mm-hmm. you know, when they kiss, they kiss their enemies. Like it, that's just how you greet mm-hmm. human beings. It's not that they're more physically intimate than we are. The meaning behind their kiss is just as meaningless as some of the fist bumps we give people in America. You know? Yeah. And our hugs can mean more in America than their kisses do over there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I don't think that I'm, like, dying to see America okay with or not uncomfortable around a kiss on the cheek. Like, I don't think it's that... that important to like push for that no i mean it's not like something i'm about to crusade for and fight for like i said i think it should just be a thing that is not as taboo i guess i i just wish it was more okay i because th- i do think there's a level of okay like we had a guy come to speak at home set a couple of years ago who um had come out of a bad lifestyle mm-hmm. of transgenderism and homosexuality. One of the things that he said that was interesting, and I know he was controversial, but one of the things he said that was interesting is one of the reasons he felt like he struggled with that so much was because there was a level of physical intimacy that is normal for a son to have with their father that he was deprived of. Mm-hmm. And so he <clears throat> sought that from other men naturally. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same for females as well. And we think like there's so many more gay people now than there was 20, 30 years ago. 
Well, I think part of that's the result of people grew up in a society where physical affection was considered to be weak. Mm-hmm. And so they deprived their children of that. And so because their children were deprived of what's a pretty basic human need, they grew up and looked for that in the wrong place. And the result of that at Homestead, you know, the guys were super uncomfortable with even hugs, some of them, honestly. When you think of like John leaning his leaning back against Jesus. There are like woke pastors today that try to say John was gay and that Jesus was gay because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's true at all. I think there's just a normal, there was a normalcy of a display of physical affection that is not romantic at all. That we've lost the ability to do that in society because we've said there's a weakness attached to that. And I still think we're coming out of that. I don't know that mm. we've arrived. I think to me, arrival looks like we're comfortable with guys even, this sounds weird to say, but guys cuddling the way girls do on a couch. Mm-hmm. You know, like, girls, totally fine for them to all cuddle. And you can fit 15 girls in a couch. Guys can't do that. Why? Because it's considered not masculine. Mm-hmm. Right? But G- but John's leaning up against Jesus at the Last Supper. I think guys need to be way more comfortable with each other. Mm-hmm. And showing that physical affection. And I do think doing a kiss on the cheek is kind of one of the the most comfortable levels of that that you can get to. Like if you're comfortable doing that, you probably don't have a ton of of unhealthy boundaries, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. I hear so, you. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not again, the- not that everybody has to. Yeah. But if people could feel comfortable doing it without being judged, because some people are more physical than others. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that those people have still been allowed to be what's the most normal for them. It's not that I disagree. I think that there's like mm-hmm. there's a lot of truth in that. Intimacy is important. Physical intimacy I think is good. Mm-hmm. I do think that like the father should definitely like touch his kids. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean it's, it's and, and for for me growing up, we had that. Like we hugged and kissed our father. Mm-hmm. Still do. Yeah. Super weird. I know for a lot of people, but like when dad was leaving, it was a rule um, that we, we say it was a rule. We all wanted mm-hmm. to do it. We had to give dad a hug and a kiss before he left because who knew, we don't know if he was coming back mm-hmm. and we want to make sure we do that before he left. And when he got home, the first person, when he, when he left, the last person that he would hug and kiss was our mom. Mm-hmm. When he came home, the first person that he would hug and kiss was mom and nobody else was allowed to give him a hug or a kiss before he hugged and kissed mom mm. and we would argue over who got to be the first kid <laughs> and we would call we'd ask that can i be first can i be first and then we got to be the first person to give dad a hug and kiss and so with both of my parents and my grandparents still at family gatherings thanksgiving christmas when we leave hug them give them a kiss on the cheek or the forehead normal for us yeah in a family i know a lot of people don't grow up that way and, and don't do that for us it's normal yeah definitely not normal for me <laughs> Definitely not now it's only normal for our family. Right. We definitely don't do that with anybody else outside of our family. But we grew up with that. And I think that might be one of the reasons why I'm a little bit more okay with it. And mm-hmm. a little bit more used to the idea than some people would be. I remember we had a lady over from my parents' church when I was in high school. I want to say I was 14 or 15 years old. And we were talking around the dinner table. I think they were at the dinner table and then I was sitting up on the counter and I still remember this, her name was Jenny, Jenny Langford, and her husband were there. She was an older lady. 
this conversation came up. We were talking about this verse and somebody said, oh, I think that's just culture. And I, as a 14 or 15 year old said, why, who decided that that's culture? Like, why mm-hmm. do we, why do we just say that? What if we're supposed to do that? I think we should still be comfortable doing that. And Miss Jenny was like, well, okay, sweetie. And she got up and came over and gave me a kiss on the cheek. <laughs> and as Nathaniel would say, we give Nathaniel another shout out. It's gay to not kiss the homies goodnight. You heard it here first. Put it in the creed. It's gay to not kiss the homies goodnight. All right. Now that we've made people thoroughly uncomfortable. <laughs> Including um, you. It's, <laughs> don't worry, Michael. I'm not going to kiss you. Good. <laughs> How do we segue? I don't know. Speaking of kissing. I'm bad at segues. Um, well, you know, the only people that drive segways are single people. That was, that was decent. And decent you know what segue. God says about single people? They're going to hell. He hates them. He hates them so much. Because he intends for everybody to get married. Exactly. So if you're single and you want to go to heaven, better get married. Well, I think you can still get there. But you're like scraping gum off the streets of gold. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're just going to barely scrape by. It's like that passage yeah. in Second Corinthians, I think, where he's like, some people are just going to barely scrape by the ring of fire when they're mm-hmm. going to the other side. You know, they build their house out of straw. Yeah, everybody has the same foundation. Like on the Jesus. plane to heaven, they're sitting in basic economy. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the topic of conversation is... Does God call people to singleness? Yeah. Does God intend for people to be single? Is is it God's will that anyone would be single? Mm-hmm. That Those ideas. That is, uh, especially in my generation growing up, in our generation growing up, I feel like that is a message that has been preached from a megaphone. Uh, it is okay to be single. Um, God calls some people to singleness. Be thankful for your your season of singleness. Like, pray about whether or not God mm-hmm. wants you to be single. And if God mm-hmm. wants you to be single, then be okay with that. You know who says that? Who says that? Married people. Married pe- Yes. Thank <laughs> you. I don't see a lot of single people preaching that. It's always married people that want to put that on the people who aren't married yet. Mm-hmm. Thank you for not putting that on me, Michael. You're welcome. Appreciate that. You better get married. Got six months. You can find you somebody <laughs> on uh, Tinder. Christian Mingle. Christian Mingle. Tried it. Farmers only? No, thanks. <laughs> Not about the yeehaws. <laughs> There's yeah. a couple of Christian dating apps I've tried, actually. Really? Yeah, I got... Uh, I tried Christian Mingle a couple of years ago, but then I realized that it was... I realized a couple of things. One, in order for it to be beneficial in any ways, you had to pay for it. And I was not about to pay for it. Pay to win? Basically. Like, you could see profiles, but you couldn't message people at all. Without paying for it? Unless you paid for it. That's weird. So I'm like, you can't actually meet people and get married on Christian Mingle unless you pay for it. And Mm. I was not about to do that. Plus, half the people on Christian Mingle did not look like they were Christians that wanted to find a spouse. They looked like people who wanted to mingle with Christians, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and I was not about that life. Yeah. <laughs> so that didn't last very long. Mm-hmm. I deleted my account. And then there were two other Christian apps I tried just, I think, earlier this year, before I decided that I wasn't going to date this year. One was called 
Salt, I think. And the other one was Upward. Mm. And Upward was similar. You had to pay for it for it to really be worth it. Um, and Salt was decent, but I had a promo that was like free for a year. Mm. So I'm like, well, if I don't have to pay for it, then sure, I'll try it. The only problem was there really wasn't any local options. It was mm. pretty... The closest thing was like three, four hours away. Oh, dang. And it's just so hard to start a long-distance relationship mm-hmm. with somebody you don't really know for and sure. met online. So I ended up deleting that one, too, and decided to not date this year. Yeah. My uh, my journey with this question is a pendulum swing. Yeah. Uh, because... You know, there was a time when I was like, no, I don't think God wants anybody to be single. And I think it's just stubborn people being stubborn. Mm -hmm. And then for a while I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe there's like room for singleness. You know, maybe God does want that kind of back the other way. I was like, no, God wants everybody to get married. And and probably the last time that I swung to that side was like when, when I first got married, I was like, no, this is for everybody. Like, this is what God intended for everybody. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, like, kind of swinging back the other way where it's like, I don't know, maybe there's, like, a singleness that people are called to, but I just don't know. And I wish the Bible, in some ways, like, I feel like the Bible's definitive, but then there's times I'm like, I don't know. It could go either way. Yeah, I I can definitely relate to the, the pendulum swing, not with just that issue, but with every issue, because... For anybody that's been listening to the podcast and like you're up to date and you've listened to all, all of the episodes and this is the twelfth one for you now, um, you figured out by now if you didn't know me before, I'm opinionated, very much so, and I tend to draw hard lines. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I also changed my mind fairly quickly and easily <laughs> when I find out that I'm wrong. And so that means it takes a while of some pretty drastic pendulum swings for me to kind of land in the middle. And that's one of the reasons why I appreciate the podcast and I appreciate Michael and my friendship so much is because I really feel like you are good for me helping to to land in a better place or at least being more receptive to people who disagree with Mm -hmm. what I'm currently thinking. I am that I'm a hardliner. Mm-hmm. For sure. And you come in with a little smudger. And you, Smudge the lines. You, you blur those lines a little bit for me. Yeah. Can we talk about experience and then bring up Bible verses? Or should we bring up Bible verses and then talk about the experience? Well, I, I think that we... Um, <laughs> sorry, this is triggering a little different thought. Whichever way you think ends up emphasizing the Bible more. Because I feel like there are people who try to use their experiences to interpret the Mm -hmm. Bible and there are people that use the Bible to interpret their experiences. Right. And that's what you want to do. You definitely want to be the, let the Bible in context be the thing that explains your experiences Mm -hmm. and you don't want to make your experiences explain the Bible. That's, Mm -hmm. you're going to end up with some whack heresy if you do that. Well, let's read the Bible then, I guess. What do you want to read first? Well, so on the side of like God always intending man to be with woman as a pair, you know, a married mm-hmm. couple, like that is important. The thing that kind of blew my mind when I was going through, and I didn't really even know this mm-hmm. until premarital counseling, was in Genesis 2 when God makes man, you know, mm-hmm. and he looks and Adam names all of creation, but doesn't find, you know, a companion that is a good fit for him. 
and God says, it's not good for man to be alone. You know? Yeah. And this is before the fall. Mm -hmm. Before the fall, God looked at Adam and said, something's not right. This, right. He needs a companion, somebody that. Nothing is fallen. Nothing is is broken. Nothing is sinful, but something is still off. Yep. And so something's missing. Mm -hmm. And then he creates Eve. And Adam says, finally, at last, there's a bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Somebody that can go through life with me. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. I'm sure I've read through that, you know, a hundred times. Yeah. But there's just something pretty powerful about that. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to discount the fact that pre-fall, you know, before there was anything wrong with the world, but God looked at everything and said, this is good. Except, except for man being alone. Mm-hmm. Man needed a partner. And, you know, I mean... Presumably, women needed a partner, too. Like, it goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely think that's true in my own life. I needed... I need a partner. I can't go through life alone. Well, I needed I think, somebody. Yeah. And again, not to... Be careful with experience and scripture, right? Right. But I feel like it was a really freeing thing for me as a single person. For so long, I felt guilty for feeling sad about being single. Mm. And I was like... If you just had the right perspective, if God could just be enough for you, if you're sad yeah. that you're single, then it's because God's not enough for you. Yep. Right. And I felt so much guilt over that. And when I realized what you're talking about, that here before sin, before Adam ever sinned, God created Adam with a hole in his heart that could not be filled by God. Yeah. God did not create Adam to be fully found and fully satisfied in God. That's a crazy thought. That's crazy. That's crazy. Kind of scandalous. Mm -hmm. Kind of scandalous. He created Adam with a need for something else. Yeah. That God couldn't fill that spot. And that was Eve. And then not necessarily that God's not even capable. Like that's the thing is God could have just just made it right. Mm -hmm. But instead of the solution being to restart, he created something new. To be a companion for And this is where I don't want to take it too far, but I feel like it's part of being created in God's image that he's created this male and female aspect of humanity and this this inherent design and and need for community. Mm -hmm. Not that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have genders. I don't want to get into all of that. But... Even as the Godhead, they experienced community mm-hmm. long before creation. Yeah. And so part of creating man in his image is creating man with that same need, mm-hmm. the need for community. Um, and so then that need for that woman there. Um, so it was really freeing to me to realize that and be like, you know what? It's okay to feel like something's missing because there is something missing. Yeah. And I can still love God and I can still be fully satisfied in Jesus, but also have this part of me that doesn't feel satisfied Mm -hmm. and it's not sinful or wrong. It's normal. It's how I was designed. It's how I was created. And I felt like so much guilt and shame was, was lifted off of me when I realized that. And the result of that was actually that I did experience more contentment Mm. and wholeness. Yeah. That's really important. But I think it's, it's interesting that there's one passage that my whole life, when people want to talk about singleness, they've cherry-picked one passage to say why singleness 
is a good thing and why God calls some people to singleness, but to talk about what does God think about singleness? Well, singleness is the first thing that ever that God ever looks at and says it's bad. Mm-hmm. Like that that's I feel like that's really big. Yeah. And and we want to just gloss over that, but singleness is the first thing that God calls bad. Right. Before sin. Yeah. By the law of what came first, you could almost say singleness is worse than sin, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can say that. No, no, smudge no, that no. line. <laughs> yeah, smudge that line. Smudge that line. That line. <laughs> I agree. So, you know, there's that perspective that, like, at least in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But we don't want to just take that one verse and say, like, okay, well, that's the truth for all of the things. Right. Is there anything else in Scripture that makes you think kind of, like, of God's positive feeling towards marriage and the importance of it? Oh, there's a lot. Um, and so I feel like now I, I do think the beginning is is of more interest and value, just for, even from a hermeneutical oh, yeah, perspective. Sure. The law of first mention kind of sets the precedent for how you're supposed to think about a thing. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think it's good that we start there. But all throughout Scripture, um, you do see marriage talked about in a really positive way way and in a positive mm-hmm. light you see kind of god's design was that it be between one man and one woman and that you not have multiple spouses there's some divine accommodation for that in the old testament but there's right. never god like really blessing it yeah you know most of the time where you see marriages with multiple people in the old testament if anything is portrayed in a negative light right it was really messy well it's the thing that you know Mm-hmm. It's the thing that splits kingdoms. It's the thing that causes strife. Mm-hmm. You know, it it only makes things, it only makes matters worse. Right. And then in the New Testament, um, when you have qualifications for deacons and elders, there is a specific, this is where God like finally steps in and says, okay, if you're going to be one of my leaders, one spouse. Yeah. No more. Yeah. So he, he does no express that. And no less, yeah. So potentially. Potentially. I guess it depends, it depends on how you read it. Depends on how you read it and I think how you interpret it. It's more mm-hmm. probably interpretation hermeneutically, you know, yeah. it's easier to assume that you have to have a spouse. There's it's one of the requirements. Yeah, there's there's definitely more room for disagreement on that than sure. there is for like having multiple spouses. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, like, do you read that as they have to have a spouse or they only have to have one spouse at a time, mm-hmm. you know, and not like divorce and things like that. I also think just the aspect of that God compares the gospel and our relationship to Jesus as a marriage. Mm-hmm. You know, the church is the bride. Jesus is the groom. These are some really positive ways that that God clearly thinks about marriage, the fact that he's made that his image of re- the, his redemptive plan. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot there. Um, I think one passage, though, that really did it for me, that I read it and I was like, okay, reading this, I have a hard time believing that it's God's will for anybody to be single. So Matthew 19, Jesus was... Some the, the some large says in the beginning, some large crowds followed him and he healed people and some Pharisees approached him to test him and they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? It was a, a question that the Pharisees had brought against Jesus to try and trap him. And he responds, you know, 
don't you know that from the beginning God made them male and female? And he talks about, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So Jesus is hardlining on not divorcing mm-hmm. more than they're used to. And they kind of respond back with the, but Moses said we could get a certificate of divorce. And Jesus is like, well, he said that because you guys are stubborn and because mm-hmm. of the hardness of your hearts. But that's not God's plan. That was not his intent. Divorce was never something God wanted yep. for his kids. So he kind of hardlines there in a way that was definitely outside of the religious norm of the time. And then it's not the Pharisees that respond at this point. It's the disciples that respond. And the disciples say to Jesus, if this relationship of a man with his wife is like this, meaning really strict about not divorcing, it's better not to marry, which I think is really revealing of the disciples, too, <laughs> that they kind of wanted that out. Yeah. They wanted that option in case things went south and things sure. got bad. And so the fact that the disciples are saying, if so you're saying if we can't get divorced, well, gosh, in that case, it's better not to get married. Yeah. Doesn't sound like they were terribly optimistic about marriage working out, right. you know? So he responds to his disciples at this point. Not everyone can accept this saying. He's like, yeah, it's pretty hard. But only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who is able to accept it should accept it. So Jesus' whole response to his disciples when they say, better not to marry, is... Well, yeah, there are three exceptions to people who should not get married. Eunuchs, eunuchs, and eunuchs. Mm -hmm. Eunuchs who were born that way, eunuchs who were made that way, and eunuchs who made themselves that way. If you fall into that category, then yeah, you shouldn't get married. But everybody else that can accept this should accept it. Mm -hmm. Because that's his plan. You're not talking about people who are like mentally eunuchs, you know? Just like in their brain, they're like, it's as if I am a eunuch because I am choosing... Not to you. No, I don't think so. You're talking about physical... I'm talking about physical eunuchs. I think Jesus was pretty... He, he elaborated pretty well yeah. on that. <laughs> on the different kinds of eunuchs that yeah. there are. He didn't leave it to much imagination, yeah. unfortunately. I almost would have rather he did. Yeah. But, <laughs> but he made it pretty clear that eunuchs are the exception to this. So that that passage was a really eye-opener for me. This is what God thinks about marriage, and this is what God thinks about singleness. He's not a fan. Mm -hmm. This is not his plan or his heart for people. It's not what he wants. So I I think this whole God calls some people to singleness idea is is bad. Mm -hmm. And and I think it's it's hurt people. Yeah. There's another passage that I think of which is not specifically about marriage, but you have to be married in order to do this, you know, but it's uh, Psalm 127 where it says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And so the Lord's like children are a blessing. And obviously you can't have children unless you're married, mm-hmm. at least not, not without sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, Children are a blessing. 
Like this is the way that the Lord like protects even protects people is through their children. You know, it's like arrows in a quiver. It's a way of defense almost to have a lot of children. It'll keep you from being put to shame. And mm-hmm. so like the Lord's sentiment towards marriage is it's not like it's uh what that kind of makes me think of is it's not like it's really optional. The Lord is like, no, like I'm going to bless you with marriage and I'm going to bless your marriage with children. Mm-hmm. That's kind of God's, that's mm-hmm. his MO. That's his goal. Right. It's not really like an optional, Hey, you know, you could, mm-hmm. if you want, I mean, I don't, it's a separate conversation, but I think that I'm not entirely sure kids are optional, uh, for a married couple. If you're as married, far you as have kids, I think if you're married, it's kind of hardest for you to have kids. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Now, obviously there's exceptions to that, you know, but right. I'm not talking and, about the exception. I'm talking about the rule. <laughs> well, and, and I'm glad you brought that point up too, because I think there's a print, a, a, a hidden principle under that, that is really helpful to understanding singleness because I'm, I'm almost concerned, like, if there are single people listening this to right now, I don't want them to start feeling any condemnation mm-hmm. of, like, oh, gosh, I'm sinful because I'm single, because I don't yeah. think that's the case at all. And when you said, when you brought up the issue of kids, like, I think it's God's will that people have kids, too. Like, it's not God's will for you to get married and then not have kids. Well, there are people who can't. Right. There are people who can't have babies because of genetic conditions that they have. Or they're just infertile. Mm -hmm. There's a whole host of reasons why people can't have kids. We would never say that because you can't have kids, you're sinful because God's will is for you to to have kids. Right. Right. But what would would our explanation to that be? We say the reason that they can't have kids isn't because they're sinful, but because we live in a fallen and broken world. And I think that same principle applies to singleness as well. I don't believe that it's God's will or plan for anyone to be single. But because we live in a fallen, messed up world, sometimes that's just the way the dice rolls. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that's just the way it happens. And you have somebody that ends up being single through no fault of their own. Yeah. And that person should not feel any guilt or condemnation. Now, people who are single because they are choosing to be Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would challenge you on that. Yeah. I would say that, that, you know, you need to reconsider. Yeah, well, just take it to the Lord. See what he has to say about it. But don't just let it be mm-hmm. your uh, preconceived ideas. Just because you heard a sermon preached that it's okay to be single, go further than that. Go deeper than that. And maybe you'll come to the right. conclusion that it's fine and you still don't feel bad about it and you don't feel any conviction. In that case, do it to the honor of the Lord. I do think it would be good to talk about the passage that is always cherry picked mm-hmm. to promote this idea of being called to singleness. So you're talking about first Corinthians. Uh, I believe it's first Corinthians seven chapter seven, verse six. Uh, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as myself, as I myself am meaning single. Meaning yeah. he doesn't have a wife. Uh, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And so that's where people kind of get this idea of like, well, there's a gift of singleness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes God gives the gift of singleness. He talks about how somebody who's married is more bound to the world and worldly things and are more concerned with their wife than the things of God 
or their spouse than mm-hmm. the things of God. So it's almost better to be free from that if you have that ability. That's in there somewhere. Just go read it. Yeah. First yeah. Corinthians seven. So I think those are kind of the two big things. It's like, well, if you can if you can bear being single, then that's what God wants you to do because that's what Paul wants right. you to do. And Paul said it's better for you to be single. Yeah. Paul so said he would rather you be like I am, which is single. That's the passage that was really driven home and, and over preached, I feel like growing up and talking about singleness and calling people to singleness that Paul actually said it's better to be single. You know, it's like the two most influential people in the Bible were Paul and Jesus, and both of them were single. Right. I've heard that too. But again, look at what Jesus said about singleness. Right. Eunuchs. Well, I think, they're the exception versus Paul. And I think that's the thing is there's an entire Bible, 65 books of the Bible that mm-hmm. talk positively of marriage, that portray marriage as God's ideal. I mean, in my opinion, from my reading of the scripture, mm-hmm. it portrays marriage as God's ideal. And then there's one chapter, really, in one book where this guy says, and I quote, not as a command, but as a concession, like, I say this, not the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I think it's cool to be single. Mm-hmm. I think everybody should be single. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. now we're having this debate, like that one verse in that one chapter that somebody admits to it being his own opinion is enough to throw this whole conversation into something that's debatable, you know? Right. When that does not seem to be what, what God communicates about his thoughts about marriage and singleness from the rest of scripture. Yeah. I also think contextually it's important to, to realize in verse eight, I say to the unmarried and to widows, well, that word unmarried can also be translated widowers. Mm-hmm. So he could be saying to widowers and to widows is better for you to stay as I am, to stay single. So some people have made the argument, and I'm not saying that I'm making the argument, but some people have made the argument that Paul is specifically speaking to remarriage. Mm-hmm. And he's saying better not to remarry. If you don't remarry, you can focus on some other things. Mm-hmm. I think it makes sense. It's argued, it's been argued that Paul was most likely himself a widower mm-hmm. uh, because he considered himself the Hebrew of Hebrews, Pharisee of Pharisees, and it was difficult to achieve any level of clout or respectability, uh, notoriety as a Pharisee if you weren't married. It mm-hmm. was expected that you were to be married. They understood that that was God's ideal, I think, as well. Mm-hmm. So you he more than likely to be in that position, he would have been married. And so if, if he is saying there to widowers and to widows, better for you to remain like me. It's almost like he's identifying there with, mm-hmm. Hey, as a fellow widower, as a, somebody else that's lost their spouse, good thing not to get remarried. Mm-hmm. So some people make the argument that it's better to interpret it that way. I think one of the strongest reasons to interpret it that way, instead of, to interpret him talking about singleness as a whole is again, the rest, like you said, the rest of the Bible, when you look at the rest of scripture, does that idea of singleness being a good thing fit with the rest of the Bible? Not even close. (laughs) Yeah. Not without some reading between the lines, I think. Right. And it's just worth noting Mm -hmm. and, you know, take it with a grain, with a tablespoon of salt, but it is Mm -hmm. worth noting that this whole chapter, Paul kind of, throws this qualifier in there 
and, and he's like, basically, like, all this is what I'm saying mm-hmm. is because of this reason. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as they as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, uh, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. And all of Paul's ideas in this chapter are predicated on the the fact that, hey, mm-hmm. Jesus is coming back, at least within my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So don't change. Like, if you're a slave, stay a slave. If you're unmarried, stay unmarried. Like, I just think it's it's hard to ignore. And I know that this can be confusing and it can be getting in the weeds, but it's just hard to ignore the fact that even Paul's reasoning behind this chapter is predicated on an idea that wasn't true. And the idea was that Jesus was coming back soon, mm-hmm. you know, at least within his lifetime is what he was expecting. Yeah, it was true, but not in the sense that he thought it'd be. It's true that he's coming back soon. Yeah, but 2,000 years was not what Paul thought by soon. Right. So it's like, I just, you know, Paul knew Jesus wasn't planning on coming back for another 2,000 years. Would he have written this chapter? Who knows? Who knows? Either now, way, that's I not mean, me I think saying, it's... That's not me saying this is not authoritative word of right. God. I think that this is authoritatively Paul's opinion. Right. God still it thought is. it was important for us to know Paul's opinion here. But that you got to understand the full context of the passage before you use one passage of Scripture to make blanket truth statements that, frankly, run against what we see from God's heart in the rest yeah. of the Bible. Yeah. Going back to this idea of God has painted salvation— and the redemptive plan as this picture of marriage. And marriage is a picture of that. They're these kind of complementary image roles. I also think it's not taking it too far then to note that God's heart in the redemptive plan and the gospel, he says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not everyone comes to repentance. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. It's an unfortunate reality, but God's heart is that everybody would come to repentance, Mm -hmm. right? That's what he says. As much as God parallels salvation with marriage, I think marriage has that same aspect of not God's will that anybody should remain single. Some people do. Mm -hmm. But hopefully if if you're remaining single, it's not by your choice. Mm -hmm. It's not because you're just being stubborn and choosing to be single. Hopefully it's not your fault either. Mm -hmm. You know, that it's... And and if you are single and it's not by choice and you're trying... I'm right there with you, for one. I totally get it. I totally understand. And it's hard. And it sucks. And it's supposed to suck because you were designed, I was designed, with a hole in our hearts that God can't fill. He's not supposed to fill it. Mm-hmm. We were designed for companionship. We were designed for marriage. That's God's ideal for us. That's God's heart for us. But if you never find it, guess what? God's still good. And so that makes me think of this passage in Isaiah uh, where he talks directly about that. And it says, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Hmm. You're not lesser than in the kingdom of God. You know? Yeah. God doesn't like, love you less because you're single. Yeah, and, and, and it's not that you're less blessed because right. the Lord is 
even though his ideal may be marriage, he, like you said, there's like this divine, what do you call it? Divine accommodation. Accommodation. It's like he's making it work. God is making all mm-hmm. things work for good. And to the eunuchs who say like, I'm a dry tree, like I'm a dead tree, mm-hmm. you know, there will, I, I'm not going to bring life anywhere else. And yet mm-hmm. God's like, that's not true. I'm going to give you and I'm going to give you a name. There's going to be a monument yeah. to you for like Abraham to hear God is going to give him tons of children. Like that's, that's a blessing. His name is going to be carried on. Mm-hmm. And he gives that same promise to eunuchs. And he gives that same promise Single to people. eunuchs. Like in that culture for your, for you to have kids was for your name to be carried on. And that was the greatest blessing you could get. You know, that was the best thing that could happen is for your name to be carried on through your children. The eunuchs lose out on that. And yet God says, no, that's not true. I'm not forgetting about you. I'm not going to forget about you. You're going to have a monument. Like your, your name is going to be so great. It's going to be better than sons and daughters. Even when the, even when God's not ideal is happening, Mm -hmm. uh, he's just going to make it awesome. He's going to make it better than ideal. Is God's will for you to be single? No, but can God still use your singleness? Absolutely. He can redeem anything. Oh yeah. Anything can be redeemed. Mm -hmm. So those are our opinions. And there's a lot of people that that topic... We give the same caveat that Paul gave. This is not a command from God. This is... Yeah. This is a concession from Graham and I, Mm -hmm. not a command. Yeah. But, you know, it's a touchy subject for some people. And so it's like, hey, it's okay. We'd love to know what you think. Uh, We'd love to have a more discussion Mm -hmm. about it. There's, I think there's a lot that we missed out on just because we didn't have a ton of time to prep it. Because I would love to, like, run a thread from beginning to end of the Lord blessing marriage, you know, yeah. calling it good, but we just didn't have time for that. Right. But there's a ton there, I think. But to sum up, if you're single, you need to go get hitched. Put it in the creed. Put it in the Christian mingle. <laughs> married. <laughs> That's a wrap on season one. That's a wrap on season one. Thanks for watching. Hey everybody, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Hit that like and subscribe button. And a share so all your other friends can find out about us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other podcasting platforms. Also, if you want to give us a follow on social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, as well as TikTok. If you love us, please buy our merch. And if you don't, I'm used to it by now. Please come back. (laughs) 